0: Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. I have some of you came over and uh, joined us for our YouTube bonus mock yesterday. We will not have one today, but likely will have one tomorrow. There's been a request to host a 14-teamer, which I guess I understand. In my mind... Since we're only going like 60, 70, 80 picks deep on these things, it doesn't really matter how many teams there are because you just sort of see where the guys are going and then you can make your adjustments. But I guess visually it does help to see, okay, well, if this is the choice I'm going to get you know, late first round, this is the choice I'm likely to get early second round, and that's harder to do in your mind with just seeing the numbers on a board than it is to actually sort of watch the snake go back and forth. So we'll uh we'll change some of the formatting up on uh, upcoming recon mocks. We'll do some 14s, maybe we'll even do a 10 drop in, parachute in out of the sky. We'll get more and more data and just keep collecting and so far so good. To that end, welcome to this Thursday edition of Fantasy NBA today. It's Mamba Day. Happy Mamba Day. I got to say it's hard to to put all of that into a tweet. So mostly I just say, happy Mamba Day. Lakers unveiled, or revealed, I should say, that they will be unveiling a statue for Kobe on uh, February 8th of 2024. So you get 2 twenty four, a bunch of key numbers for the uh, the Bryant family. That should be awesome. Very interested to see what kind of pose they go with. Is it uh, going to be the, the collar-chewing Kobe? Is it going to be one of the celebrations? Is it going to be a fadeaway? That should be fun Uh, but at the same time and i know this isn't uh, a fantasy discussion necessarily but i still it all still feels very fresh you know like i know that the the helicopter stuff was right uh, right before covid So it's been three and some odd years, but it still, it feels like it just happened. Three years is like nothing. I I love the idea of the statue. I just, this is not meant to say that I disagree with any of the stuff that's going on. It's more so that for me personally, getting to Mamba Day 824 or getting to this, the statue unveiling stuff like that, I still just feel sad about it. But you gotta move on. You have to find a way to move on. And we all have. But just when you hear about it, it sort of brings that day back. You think about his daughter in the helicopter, you think about the other families in the helicopter. Like all of that stuff just feels so fresh still. Anyway, should be a cool statue unveiling. I am actually genuinely excited about that. I just I'm not ready to be happy on Mamba Day yet. I'm still I'm still mourning. I don't know how long. Guess it's different for everybody. Anywho, uh, I am at Dan Vesperis on X, Twitter, whatever the poop they call that website these days. D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. Fantasy Draft Guide. Coming at Sports Ethos in a week, ladies and gentlemen. This is your last chance, last call, to get the All Sport for $7 a month. Stop waiting. Stop waiting. It's going up to $10 a month when the draft guide drops for the all-sport pass. If you have any interest in doing any sport in fantasy besides basketball, the $7 all-sport is the way to go because basketball solo is 6 So you're talking about a $1 a month bump, and you get NFL and uh, football and baseball, I should say, as part of the same package. Don't wait. Get it. Stop screwing around. That's at sportsethos.com. The football draft guide, which is in more than full swing right now, is one of the most comprehensive things I have ever seen. And the only problem is that folks aren't seeing it because the people working on it are not big-name football analysts. But that shouldn't be a reason you don't check it out. They will be big-name football analysts at some point here soon. It's just, you know, got to build it. Got to build it. Also... Other bit of sad news today, not basketball-related. Shohei Ohtani has torn the UCL in his throwing arm. Unbelievably awful news. Ugh, so rough. I know we don't talk about baseball on this show really ever. I, I have a lot of little baseball analogies for basketball, but this is absolutely horrendous news. For those that haven't been following, Shohei Ohtani is putting together, or was, I guess, season's over, was putting together, arguably, the best season in the history of baseball, which is about 150 years now. The best season in the history of baseball, and it ends a month and change early here because of injury. That is a that is a freaking shame. God, that was cool to watch. What he was doing this year is insane. Also, that man was about to get $500 million in free agency. He probably still will, but... I mean, this probably, assuming he has Tommy John surgery, and because I'm, I'm guessing he'd like to pitch in addition to hitting, maybe he can come back earlier from one, work his way up to hitting next year, and then work the offseason to pitch the following year. I still make plenty of money, so that's not... But, like, this is a year we're not going to get to see him. And that sucks! Because Shohei's freaking incredible! Ah, well. We move on. We move forward. Yesterday, we talked a little about when people like to have their fantasy drafts. It ended up as a pretty good discussion. We took it over to social media, and and folks had uh, a lot of opinions on it, which I think for the, for the most part lined up with what we were talking about on the pod. But, I don't know, that was kind of cool. Thread picked up all right on, again, over on the socials. I don't understand social media these days. I, I'm trying to, but I don't fully understand it. <laughs> I feel like it, it, the things that I thought I had figured out a couple years ago are not, don't work anymore. Now I have to do like a 21 post thread with a little thread icon, and I got to have more fancy graphics probably. My lack of my lack of graphics in my posts, they're not fancy enough. I just wanted to get you guys the information, damn it. Ah, oh well, can't do that anymore either. I got gripes. I got gripes this morning. I got gripes. We got NBA gripes. We got baseball gripes. I got I got gripes of all shapes and sizes. Um so yesterday we talked about draft time. It split up a little bit of of what had become, I thought, maybe a little repetitive in terms of how we were breaking things down. But what we had also gotten to during our recent discussions was almost not say by accident but kind of a side benefit to going through effectively the top 16 ranked players on Yahoo was we were able to sort of bucket them. It wasn't necessarily my intent when we started this little project of who should go first, who should go third, who should go eighth, who should go ninth, but as we worked through the names, they've fallen into buckets. And the ADP on this stuff which that data is out for Yahoo now. It's not moving a ton here because you sort of saw that initial drop and then Yahoo's pre-ranks will wedge names in one direction or another, but no massive surprises. What we expected to see out of that ADP data is basically what we got to see, at least near the top. Once you get farther down the board, then things get sort of a little kooky, but you can't lock those names in stone yet anyway. But again, by going through this first 16, we've kind of now lined up what we do and don't like, how that corresponds with or goes against consensus opinion, and once you get that information all together, you can create your buckets. So just as an example, before we go to the next thing we're going to work on, we, uh, Let's talk about the most recent discussion we had, which was all those names. It's nine names that could have gone at pick eight, basically, which I am I will admit I'm very surprised to say right now it appears to be Damian Lillard going at pick eight, but we went through nine names, Dame, Giannis, Durant, Anthony Davis, Lamella Ball, Anthony Edwards, Kyrie Irving, Jaron Jackson Jr., and Devin Booker. The reason we went through those names is because Those are the names I saw in mock drafts going near the turn. Some combination, some uh, order of them. There are some names in that list that I don't think I'd ever seen go as high as 8, but I, I had seen every single one of those players go before 12 or before 13, so 12 or earlier, at least once in something that I was a part of. And that now is bearing itself out in ADP data. So, you know, you say you can't predict how these things are going. You can to some degree, to some measure of confidence. Because looking at ADPs, which again is not broken down necessarily in order, but if we were going to do it in order, Devin Booker is indeed the last name in that line of players we talked about. So technically, his ADP, if you were going to just slap an integer on it, he is getting picked 16th. His ADP is 17.1. There is a two, numerically, two-number gap between Devin Booker and the guy getting drafted behind him. In the early part of the draft board, talking a little bit more about ADP on today's show, and I I have one other topic I'd like to get to, but we'll see how time shakes out, because I have a lot to say on this one. So topic number one today is interpreting some of this early ADP data, because yesterday's show, we just compared it to pre-rank to kind of see where humans were making their own calls on stuff. The other thing is, well, how do we now take some of these numbers and how do we translate them? So that's the first topic on today's show. If we have time, I want to get into the next bucket, at least start to... uh, Take a peek at maybe the crop of players that belong in the next bucket. Not belong, that's the wrong word. The crop of players that are just going in the next bucket, and then later we'll sort out how we feel about that. Folks, picture this nightmare scenario. You're hosting friends for the big game. It's neck and neck in the fourth quarter, and suddenly you realize you're out of drinks. So early ADP data, how do we interpret it? Well, first of all, at the top of the board, it's really hard. You're not going to see big gaps between numbers all that often because there just aren't that many places that a guy like Nikola Jokic or Joel Embiid can go. Like You're just not going to see Embiid fall to like six ever. So his ADP is always going to stay relatively tight to Jokic, same story with Luka Doncic, Jason Tatum, Tyrese Halliburton, Steph Curry, Shea Gilgis, Alexander. After that, as we talked about before, that's that top seven. Those numbers are all relatively close. And in fact, the largest gap between any of those players is Luka to Tatum, an ADP gap of 1.4. So Jokic at one and at two, Luka at three is actually starting to kind of lock itself in a little bit. But we're not gonna we're not gonna take that at gospel because 1.4 is not that large of a gap. Once you get up to about 2 in the early going, an ADP gap of 2. This is rough, by the way. This is not an exact science. That's where you can see a clear bucket delineation in the early players' numbers. This is not something you can extend down past, you know, the top 30, 35. You're looking for other signs at that point. The first big gap two or more, if we want to call it that, is between Shea and Dame, and it's a big one. Shea's ADP is 6.8, Dame is 9.7, which is basically telling us that Dame, Giannis, KD, AD, everybody after him, those guys are almost never going inside the top seven. And when they do, they really almost never go inside the top six or top five. It happens very rarely, Giannis, we saw go in the mock yesterday, I think at four, because someone will go and just lean into a punt. He's sort of a, a specialty case. Dame is not a punt guy necessarily. Shea, uh, or, and then the other guys behind him, those guys are not obvious punt dudes either. So Giannis is kind of the wild card there. But this, again, bears out what we talked about even before ADP data dropped, which was, if you look at drafts right now, You can see a top seven. It's just there. This tells us. The numbers now tell us what we analyze are indeed, what we analyze is, I should say, indeed true. So let's go a little bit farther down the board. Where do we see the next gap of two or more? Well, we could round up a little bit. I'd like not to, but we can. Anthony Edwards, the Lomelo Ball-Anthony Edwards gap is at 1.9 right now, but... I'd, I believe that Yahoo is going to increase Edwards' pre-rank a little bit. He's also beating his pre-rank, so you have to kind of factor that into the mix as well. Is someone going... Is their number going against the grain in a particular direction to say, okay, well, this is a 1.9. That's actually kind of like a small 1.9, which I get it. That sounds stupid and fuzzy mathing it a little bit, but those other factors do play a role. There's nothing about the Dame to Shea Gap that suggests it's about to get closer. There is something about the Ant to Lamello Gap that suggests it might get closer, and that's simply that Anthony Edwards is a big-time buzzy guy right now. He could very easily close that gap. That's the direction it's going. I might even argue both of those guys are rising. So the next two or greater gap is Devin Booker to Mikael Bridges. That one's exactly two by the way, because Booker's been a little bit on the slide. And by the way, if Booker slides more, he then slides out of that 8 to 16 span. I don't think that's going to happen because his pre-rank is 15 on Yahoo. It feels like if anything, early drafters are saying, eh, we're not all that excited about it. And then as this thing goes, you're going to see more and more people taking Booker at 13, 14, 15. And so the ADP should hold or maybe even get a little bit earlier. But again, you know, we're sorting things out as we go. If you want to run this bar a little bit farther, the next two gap doesn't occur for quite some time. And that's why I said this is a strategy that you can kind of only apply in the very early going. But the next two gap is between uh, picks 30 and 31, basically. It's between Pascal Siakam and Jalen Brunson, Uh but is that, like, a real cutoff point? I, I I don't think so. I don't think that there's anything that's like, oh, Pascal Siakam is obviously going before DeJounte, Murray, Miles, Turner, Bam Adebayo, Nikola Vucevic, etc., etc. Is he doing it generally? Yes. But when you get into these numbers, 30, 40, 50, and beyond, there's so much fluctuation in where guys go that It's almost like these ADP gaps are a little bit arbitrary, and then they vanish just as quickly as they appear. They don't mean nothing. I don't want to say completely disregard it, because, let's see, there's another one between Brandon Ingram and Zach Levine, which actually does kind of feel like something we've seen happen, which is, oh, Brandon Ingram is going late fourth, and Zach Levine has just been going in the 50s. Like, there's a gap. One guy tends to go in front of the other. But that's basically what that size gap suggests around here. That one guy basically goes in front of the other every time, but you just have no idea what order this stuff is going to happen in. So early going, those are the markers you can look for. You can look for a thick band of ADP, Between players. But once you get past about the top 20, top 25, that information isn't really all that helpful anymore. At that point, you're mostly looking for direction. What direction are the players going in their ADP delta? The change on ADP. Okay, good. We still have some time to talk about the next thing, the next item, next Order of business, calling the order, the next order of business here on Fantasy NBA Today. If we now accept that Devin Booker is the cutoff for whatever numerical bucket we want to call this one, because really, like, Jokic is bucket one, Embiid is bucket two, Luka now kind of appears to be bucket three. We can be as... nitpicky with this as we want tatum through shea can be bucket four dame through booker basically is bucket five which i know is is a little bit silly because their adps are not all that close but because you are seeing that type of fluctuation in where guys go like on average kevin Durant and anthony davis are going in front of kyrie irving that's just true but every time no So I can't fully separate those buckets yet. If we accept that Devin Booker is the tail end of that particular bucket, when does the next one begin? Who does it begin with? And how far does it go? I'll tell you. In the mocks that I've been sitting in, which is now I think six recon mocks on Yahoo, and that's the ones I want to do, because that's this is these are the boards we're looking at. That's where a lot of the leagues are. And don't worry, we'll do we'll dabble in the SPN as we go. We're probably not gonna do much fan tracks dabbling on this podcast because uh those are the the more diehards. You don't get public doing stuff in fan tracks. If you're in a Fantrax league, you're you're trying to beat other experts. There really isn't many other reasons to do it. It's not like they're like regular Joes just going for a fix of fantasy. Which and I think a lot of you guys listening, I hope a lot of you guys are also kind of regular Joey, like you just love playing fantasy sports and you're going to use the website that is the easiest to use. That's Yahoo. It still is. If you're a diehard commissioner, you're probably on Fantrax because they have more tools. If you love points leagues, you're probably over on ESPN because that's where they excel. But that's why we talk mostly about Yahoo at this time of year, because their data applies to the largest chunk of the fantasy playing audience. That was actually a question that got asked to me on Twitter. That's the answer. Why am I not going off of Fantrax data? Because it applies to an incredibly small percentage of the actual overall players. We have a limited amount of time on this podcast and you know, I suppose we could do a show at some point on Fantrax's numbers. There's no reason why we can't. Maybe a bonus show, slip it in on a weekend or something, but we're not going to do it in August either. Anyway, back to the uh, actual topic on today's podcast, which, again, by the way, a uh, quick mid-show reminder that uh, we're going to keep doing these bonus YouTube episodes, so you guys do need to go follow over there. It's SportsEthos is the handle, YouTube.com uh, slash sports ethos is the easiest way to go find that stuff. And it seems like the mock from yesterday actually, um, is kind of jumping a little bit, which is pretty cool. Um, people are finding it. That is still slightly exciting me. I know like this audio podcast has, has took off a long time ago and, and I thank you all for making that a thing. Uh, our YouTube page is still kind of fledgling, for sports ethos, we've had it for a while, but we haven't used it that much. We're finally using it over like the last nine months or so. We've we've jumped up our YouTube usage, and I hope that that now bears itself out over the next calendar year. You kind of see the, the jumping over there. Anyway, um, so how do we figure out what the next grouping is? There are a couple players that we know are in the next grouping from watching the mock drafts and from the ADP data at this point. And those players are Mikhail Bridges, uh, Donovan Mitchell, very much in that next group. Damontis Sabonis is very much in that next group. I would argue Freddie Van Vliet is in that next group. James Harden is in that next group. And maybe Trey Young is a question mark. He's getting drafted ahead of his pre-rank, which suggests that he's probably on his way into this group. But I, I haven't seen a draft yet where Trey Young... Ah eh, let that's not true. I think I saw one where he went in front of all of those other names I just listed. Mikhail, Donovan, Freddie VanVleet, Sabonis, Harden. And then one of the other question marks in this group is, where is... What group is Desmond Bain in? To me, he might be... I don't know, start with Desmond Bain because I don't, still don't really know where he's going to get drafted in mid-October. Desmond Bain might be the biggest surprise of anybody on the board to me right now because he had an excellent season last year. He was number 35 per game, 21.5 points, three threes, five boards, four and a half assists, a steal, .4 blocks, 48 and 88 splits with relatively reasonable turnovers for a guy doing a bunch. Everybody knows John Morant is out for a third of this season. So, yeah, I mean, obviously Bain is going to have a good start and probably full season. but he also missed 24 games with injury last year. I thought he I, I thought that for people that had him, he was probably kind of frustrating last season. And so to see him get this this push to an area where he has not been before without having again without having shown that he's been there, and it's not like Jaws missing the entire season. He's out until basically like the beginning of December, eh, mid-December. I, I'm surprised. He, to me, is the big surprise. So I don't still fully know what is going to happen with Desmond Bain, but yeah, maybe we can throw him into this group. Anyway, short version is, no, I don't know. I don't know yet on him, on Bane. It seems like he pushes towards the back end of that group, but should he be pushed out of it into the next one? I think, I think this is where we can put the cutoff. Because very rarely have I seen the, the players after this go in this grouping. All right. If we now accept that that's the group, Bridges, Spida, Van Vliet, Bonus, Harden, and probably Trey Young, with this arbitrary, kind of arbitrary cutoff before Lowry Markinen and or Desmond Bain, then our next topic of discussion is who should get drafted in that slot? Who should it be? Let's break some of it down. Let's start with, and sometimes I try to kind of work my way backwards in these things, and sometimes I try to list the players based on similarities, things of that nature. Let's start, let's do it based on who had the best per game seasons last year. And the player in this group that had the best per-game production last year was Donovan Mitchell, who finished at number 15 in 9-cat on a per-game average, besting James Harden by a couple of slots. And then, by the way, Larry Martin is in that group in terms of per-game stuff, but I think everybody sort of half-expects him to maybe taper off a little. Utah did get a few gunners, well, whatever, we'll, we'll get to him when we get to him. What are the arguments for and against Donovan Mitchell to be, I guess this would be uh, pick 17, right? 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. Yeah, I think we're at pick 17. The case for Donovan Mitchell to be pick 17. Well, the case for it is relatively clear. He was number 15 last year. Had a terrific season in Cleveland. Seems to have settled in admirably. 28 points, so you get a really nice scoring bounce out of your now mid-second round pick. There aren't that many guys left that are going to score 28 points a game. Maybe, what, two, three, something like that. If that, you get a really nice threes bounce. You get steals, a guy that's not hurting your percentages last year at least. There's a durability element that you could argue is possibly for, possibly against. He missed 14 games last year. That was fine. 15 the year before that. Pretty close to league average. Almost right on it. Year before that, he missed a bunch. Previously, it had been relatively durable, which Donovan Mitchell we get this coming season. I guess I don't fully know yet, but... Is that a positive? Is that a negative? That's probably a neutral. The negatives here are that Cleveland seemingly added more shooting. Not that those guys are going to take shots away from Donovan Mitchell, but I think they hope that he doesn't have to do quite as much. And the other, and maybe this is the more important one, is that this is a 44.5% career field goal guy who did not dramatically change what he was doing on a basketball court. He still shot 38 and changed percent from three. He's had some seasons where he was up in that range before. He has never, well, at least not in a long time, shot anywhere close to this well from two. And that's, I think, what we need to be a little bit worried about. Because if that 48.5% comes back down to 44 or 45, where he's pretty much been his entire pro career, which is not short... Then he falls from 15 back into the early 20s. Where I think we had all become kind of accustomed to seeing Donovan Mitchell. Somewhere between 20 and 40. Based basically on how steals and field goal percent go on a given year. Last two seasons his steals have been back up. After a couple years where they were down. Which one is real? Maybe somewhere in between. But that's also a thing that can bounce around a little bit. Maybe with... I mean, we know in Utah he was encouraged to go for steals because no one on the perimeter could guard anybody, so they were just like, whatever, go for steals, see if you can get out on the break. Rudy Gobert is back behind you. Cleveland, he's getting them. That's a team that has all kinds of defensive ability, so it's a little bit of a different monster. That, to me, is the downside, and it's a very real one. But... If you draft him at 17, his field goal percent is a little bit lower, and he finishes at whatever you want to call it, like 23, 24, that's not a miss that's going to ruin your fantasy basketball team. You know? Like, yeah, technically that's a miss, but getting a late second in the mid-second is totally fine. It's kind of, it's a little bit simplistic for me to make the following statement, but it might also be the most important thing we say on today's podcast. You know how sometimes I say, well, you can't win your fantasy draft in the first or second round or third, but you can lose it. Another way to phrase that is just don't bleep this up. Good buddy of mine that I worked with in Bakersfield for a very long time. Apparently, that was something that uh, his father said regularly. Don't you this up. That's the rule for the first three rounds of your fantasy draft. Yeah, it's fun to have pick 11 and take a flyer on Anthony Davis because the upside is there. But at the end of the day, your job in the first, second, and third rounds is to not bleep it up. Does that mean you go take somebody from way down the board who doesn't have any real upside? No, and it's part, in my mind, of why that who-do-you-pick-between-8-and-16 discussion is still so confusing. Because, yeah, you've got Anthony Davis, you've got Kevin Durant, you've got these per-game upside guys that are also incredibly injury-prone. But you're pushing them up against guys who have, in my estimation, very little per-game upside aren't pillars of durability anyway. So, like, you're picking... You're really picking poisons there. Anyway. um, So, I will say this, so that you guys don't think that I'm just trying to twist you in circles on these episodes. Of the players that I listed in this next grouping, Bridges, Donovan Mitchell... Van Vliet, Sabonis, Harden, and Trey Young. If you ask me who I think has the best per-game season coming up this year, I'd say odds are that it's probably Donovan Mitchell or James Harden in that group. Guaranteed? No. Hell no. I mean, if Trey Young has a big field goal percent year, he launches himself back up the board. Uh... I don't know that Sabonis could possibly do anything else. If Freddie Van Vliet is asked to do a little bit more in Houston than he did in Toronto, he could very easily be like a top 12, top 13 per game guy. So it's not at all locked in stone, but if you're looking for the a combination of per game upside and non-massive injury or other, if you want to call it other risk factors, because like James Harden, is he an injury risk factor? Sort of, but is he an all-around risk factor? Absolutely. And Van Vliet is often dinged up a little bit, although I guess he played in one more game than than Donovan Mitchell last year. Donovan's kind of like picking Mario in a in a Mario video game sport event. He's just kind of like pretty good at a bunch of stuff. There's not a ton of risk there. There's a little bit of upside if he puts together a season similar to the last one. There is some downside if he comes back to his career norm, particularly in field goal percent. But it probably won't ruin your season. Probably. Catastrophic things happen, but probably. There are one or two names in this group that might ruin your season, is Donovan Mitchell the most interesting in that group? He might actually be. You could argue he might be the most exciting player to draft in this chunk as well. That's why he's typically going towards the front of this chunk. But he's not the guy going at the top of it. That's Mikhail Bridges. And I don't think we're even going to get to him on tomorrow's show, because as great as he was in Brooklyn, his efficiency took a nosedive. He finished at number 31. He was... In the 20s, he had a run of first-round value when he was hitting shots and taking a ton of them, but you kind of knew that wasn't going to stick long-term. Once he leveled off, he was more like a late 20s, early 30s guy, even in Brooklyn, even with the higher usage. The guy we're going to talk about to start tomorrow's show that's part of this group is James Everlovenharden and all the crap swirling around him right now. Ooh-wee. In the meantime, come hit me up over on Twitter. X, whatever. At Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. Hope you have a lovely Thursday. No bonus episode today. We'll do a two for again tomorrow on Friday. And uh, again, hopefully I'll talk to you guys on social between now and then. So long for now here on Fantasy NBA Day. Go get yourself a Fantasy Pass. Stop screwing around. Goodbye.